for any promoters that are listening, if you don't know this, then you're, uh, you're behind the times. But <laughs> there's only so many different ways that you can repackage people getting drunk to music. Warning. This podcast may include hard-hitting truths, shocking revelations, and outrageous social secrets. You won't see your life in the same light after this, but if you're ready to face the reality of an always online world, keep listening. This week, we were joined by Chris Williamson, who is a director at Voodoo Events, uh, basically a student night club promotion company based in Newcastle, Manchester, Leeds, and all the major student cities. Uh, Chris also has his own podcast, but today on ours, um, we wanted to find out from him this idea of social equity when it comes to the student night out. So how student sense of identity um, plays into what kind of nights they want to attend and how events marketers like Chris are leveraging that to tap into selling the student night out. Yeah, we really grilled uh, Chris on this topic. Uh, often when you think of student nights out and promotions companies, you think it's just as simple as putting uh, finding a venue fly in and everybody turn up on a Friday night. Incorrect. There's so much more to it from your social media strategy to how you're perceived on the ground and who turns up on the night, basically. Uh, so it's really, really interesting to get his thoughts on that and find out some of the tricks of the trade, uh, so to speak, that go with that. So while you listen to this podcast, or before probably better, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere where it's possible to do so because uh, we'd really like to get your thoughts on the podcast so far. What does your favourite night out, and when I say night out, club night out, say about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think back in the day it would be biggest club, cheapest drinks, you know, prettiest girls. But um, now for me at 30, it's a little bit more kind of gin bar and, and chilling out. It feels an awful lot, as a club promoter who's done it for 12 years, it feels a lot like going to work when you go on a night out now. Oh, yeah. Which is a little bit <laughs> weird. Uh, it's strange to think that what you do for work, most people do for fun. And then when you've got the night off and your mates go, oh, mate, should we go on a night out? And you're like, oh, fuck's sake, I've done that like every day this week. Like, I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> and could you think you can tell a lot about somebody's personality by the sort of club nights that they frequent and the, and the bars that they go to and all of that? Very much so, yeah. And the thing is as well, because we've always kind of used, I know each of us will have an experience where you almost use a night out for this idea of social equity. So I go to... Um, a garage rave, therefore I'm into garage and I'm this kind of person. I like being out and, and, and all the rest of it. So what what is, for the people who don't know, what is social equity, would you say? You can tap into this idea of... So I think one of the key things that we use as club promoters with regards to social media mm -hmm. is how people become self-branded by nights out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, clothing brands do that already. You wear Nike. People can make an inference about your personality type by the brands that you're wearing. You've got a Levi's top on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what does this say? Oh, that means I'm this kind of a person. You've got Nike, oh, you're sporty. I'm wearing a vest because I put Krispy Kreme on my T-shirt on the way here. <laughs> um, so I've had to wear a vest. But, you know, it all, all of it is an indicator of what's going on. And because now as club promoters, we have the opportunity to self-brand our customers mm. every single week. The next morning, there will be an album of photos that's between 50 and 150 big. And it is one of our lads will sit in the office and his job the next day, his only job is to tag people that are in the photos because we want them to represent us. They want to be brand ambassadors for our events. Mm -hmm. And similarly, what that means is if you see that someone clicks attending on a warehouse project event, you can make an inference about them from that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So mm -hmm. if you run that downstream or upstream, should I say, if you go back from that, what it means as a promoter is that one of the key things you need to try and manipulate is the lever the um, value, perceived value that people who come to your events are attached to 
because they're seen at your events. Mm. Are your mm. events aspirational? Are they cool? No one wants to go to the event that makes them look like a social leper. No. They don't want to be the one, who, the, you don't want them to be untagging their photo because it's so uncool to be at your event, right? Of course, of course. And you've actually got a story, haven't you? About a club <laughs> yeah. in Skipton. Who... Yeah, so my hometown is a very, very small town in which we have one very, very shit club. If you <laughs> can even call it that, it's literally just a room. Um, but it's called Kuki. And it's sort of like, no, if they're no skip turn. All right, okay. Uh, sorry, guys at Kuki, if you're listening. I'm not going to let you in anymore after this, are they? You're going to be turned away. It's known that if you get snapped by the Kuki photographer, your life is pretty much over. Like, you wouldn't be caught dead. In the there place. But there's other like places like um, in Manchester, like when I was a student that you'd go and like you'd be looking for pictures the next day because you want to share that on your timeline. But like, the complete opposite reason. Yeah, for sure. That's when we know that we've got it right. When people message and say, where, where are the, when are the photos going to be up? Yeah, mm. that's when, you know, unless it's someone who's shit scared of the fact they've done something wrong or they told the missus <laughs> that they weren't on a night out. Yeah. And like, we get a lot probably for every... One, one album a week, there'll be a message, mate, look, can you please delete that photo? Like, oh, I said that I wasn't really? going in the out. Yeah. But they, <laughs> to be fair, the, the guys are always really good and they, they, they usually tend to take it down pretty quickly. I think oh. they can I think they can sympathise, if I'm honest. Because to me, it, it strikes me as this is nothing. You've always had club photographers. You'll always have, you know, clubs like the Hacienda and stuff and people will be like, were you there on this night when this happened and this happened? But it's been magnified in this social media era, hasn't it? And especially... I've got a story myself at a club in Bristol, um, a club night called Pressure, a bar called Feckler. And it, just as you explained, Chris, it was the same, you know, you used to be able to uh, go out on a Thursday and you'd be, you know, hounding the promoters for the for the photos by Saturday. And it'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah there's you, there's you. And it, it's great. Where, where does all that come from? This almost self, not self-validation because it's like validation to everybody else, it seems to me. I'm not sure. I think that there's an interesting... Um, an interesting example that Joe Rogan's used before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use it now. And it's one of the reasons there's a proliferation of CrossFit recently. And it's that uh, the typical self-branding exercises, the typical community-based exercises that people would have done 50 years ago would have been church, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Take it back even more, 100 years ago, it would have been church. Sure. The friends in your community would have been closely knit geographically around maybe your street or your local neighborhood. And then on a Sunday, everybody would go to church. Now we don't have anything that binds us together in that kind of a way. Mm. You know, we, we hear increasingly about people's senses of loneliness and their connection online and the um, value of Instagram followers and Facebook friends mm. and in Twitter retweets and stuff like that. All of this is now seen as a derivative for your social value. Mm. And what mm. that means is that people are searching quite regularly for something that makes them feel like they belong. And I think that, you know, it is our job as promoters. We try, and increasingly what we've tried to do recently is to make the club night about more than the club night. Mm. And mm. this is a key thing. And for any promoters that are listening, if you don't know this, then you're, uh, you're behind the times. But <laughs> there's only so many different ways that you can repackage people getting drunk to music. Yeah. Right? Like, there's only so many different ways that you can put that across. Quite easily in any one city at one time, we could be using the same DJ that another night has used two nights before. We could have the same drink deals. It will mm. be the same bar staff. Mm. You can mm. dress the venue and you can put up inflatables, but to the vast majority of customers, especially after a few drinks, they're not going to tell if it's a Wednesday at Birdcage in Manchester or a Friday at Birdcage in Manchester or a Saturday. They don't know the difference. Mm. Mm. So what you need to do as a promoter, 
uh, as an event runner is to leverage on the things that are going to be more difficult to replicate. And what that is, is brand values, mostly. And the way that you can leverage that is by what are the sort of communications that you're putting out online? What are the sort of people that are attending your event? And this is this really funny story that I tell all the time. So if you ring one of your friends up who's been on a night out the, the night before, and you say, man, so how, how was last night? And they go, mate, it was awesome. There was loads of fit girls. And then like, and you go, hang on a second. I asked you how your night was. I didn't ask who the other consumers of that product were. So I don't say to you, how's your new iPhone 8 Plus? And you go, yeah, yeah, it's great. Like David Gandhi's got one. Beckham's got one. You go, like in no other industry is the core tenant of the product the other consumers of the product. Like that's not the way that it works. It's very, very rare. So what that means, especially on our side, this self-branding thing becomes even more important because it's not about if someone gets tagged in a photo or if someone attends a particular kind of event, mm, mm. it says even less about like, what does you going to an event that has one pound 50 Jager bombs instead of two pound Jager bombs say? Maybe a little bit in terms of music policy, you listen to R&B, you listen to house music, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But really that's kind of minor. The fact that the spearhead of a uh, night's value are its other consumers means that that self-branding self thing gets turned up to 11 mm. because everyone already knows the sort of people that attend that event. Mm. Mm. And that, that can be a win and a loss if you end up on the receiving end of this. And we all know how fickle the uh, social world can be. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it doesn't take much to kind of tip off the uncool edge. Yeah. And then yeah. it's incredibly difficult to get it back. And on the flip side, if you get it right, you get to snowball. I mean, look at what happens with Warehouse Project. Look at what happens. He's a perfect example of that. Elro, have you yes, heard of Elro? Yes, yeah. So Elro's a, a tech house party that just drops in and does little events around the world. Uh, they've got DC10 and they do a couple of others here and there and they do these big outdoor parties and things like that. They've got an all day party on in Newcastle in a little while. These tickets are 50 quid each and they've got 9,000 people attending this event. The DJs that go there, we've had play at a number of different venues in Newcastle, nothing different there. What they've got is beyond the fact that they use a lot of confetti and it looks cool and it's dressed nicely, what they've got is this self-branding thing mm. because it's always cool outfits, it's always pretty guys and pretty girls mm. and interesting yeah. posts online and their social media presence is cool. That's what they're selling. So I think, yeah, as a, as a club promoter, that's your... Um, that's the key currency but how, you're playing with. But how do you control that sort of short of turning people away at the door if they look or act a certain way? With difficulty, yeah. with real difficulty. Because, you know, there's, you're totally right. If someone turns up to one of our events and they have ID that says that they're over 18, mm. they've got a student card if it's a student ID event and they don't contravene a dress code and they're not too intoxicated, we can't say anything. Yeah. We can't say you're really uncool, you put that like beggy tweet up the other day, you're not allowed in. Yeah. Yeah. Some places we, do though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we have varying, there are venues that will have, especially you look at somewhere like London, mm. like they'll have varying degrees of um, strictness on the door. And the thing is as well, like I, I wouldn't want to do that. Like that's not, our events aren't about that. The whole point is that it's inclusive and yeah. we, want, we want people to come down. The cooler that you pitch your event, the less tolerance you have for getting it wrong. Mm. And for the vast majority of our events are 18 to 21, 18 to 20, 21 student market. You know, they're nice, nice guys, nice girls. Mm. They're mm. well-dressed, but take a broad cross-section of the people that are going out and you've got that. 
Yeah. However, when you do start to do the high-end stuff, you know, I don't envy the jobs of venues like Neighbourhood in Manchester mm. or Lave yeah. Lavello in Newcastle mm. or, you know, the real uh, posh clubs down in London. Mm. You know, you look at somewhere in Chelsea, I, I don't envy that because it only takes you to turn away the wrong group a couple of times mm. and then that filters back as well because you get a negative a negative kickback off that as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So it's, and this is why the industry is so fast moving and so fickle that there's always an opportunity for someone to come in. Um, but that's also why, to a degree, it's a bit of a cottage industry still. Mm. And it's kind of, there's an old guard, especially now, like 10 years ago, there was two big promotion companies per city. And now there's a little bit more, but no one else is getting in. And it's like a, is it an oligarchy? Where you've got like a small number of, um, a small number of very, very powerful businesses. Yeah. Mm. And that yeah. is the same yeah, in it. every single city. So in Leeds, there's like four. In Newcastle, there's five. In Manchester, there's about six. And no one knew was going to get in there unless they really, really niche down. Why is, why is that? We don't let them in, to a degree. <laughs> you can be very militant about it. And you yeah. can, you know, there's, there's very few um, industry regulations with regards to like carteling on price. Like if you see a new promoter come in, there's absolutely nothing that stops you messaging all of your other mates that run a Thursday going, right, let's spend everything that we can. I'll put a PA on this week. You put your PA on next mm. week. You put one on after that. We'll all drop our drinks prices by 50p and they won't see the light of day. And then four weeks later, they go. Like, is there? It's a, it's a, it's very, it's very, it's very cutthroat. Yeah, it is. It's very, it is very cutthroat. But as well, the, to bring it back to what we're talking about with this snowballing effect, it doesn't take much. Like, once someone gets a little bit of a footing, everyone wants to be too cool. Mm. to go to that party. Mm. They want to go to the cooler one, the one yeah. that fewer people know yeah. about. No, no, yeah. that's so last week. Like, I'm going here now. Yeah. And manipulating that, as you've said, it's it's a very, um, it's very difficult. And it's very, it feels very detached. Yeah. It left, for a very long time, it left us with this, in all of club promo. Everyone will know the typical, like, club promoter, like, boisterous guy, but mm. probably actually maybe seems outwardly super enthusiastic, but might be a little bit concerned and underconfident mm. in real mm. life. And I definitely think that the industry feeds back to that because there's just low level anxiety. Mm. Like the whole time, mm. you're just terrified that someone's gonna come in and swoop in because you know that the takeoff for club nights is so sharp and that the drop off is so sharp as well. What you benefit from in the fact that you can launch something with a Facebook, a Facebook account and a three week buildup, you also pay for on the back end in that three weeks could be from having a £200,000 a year business to a night that doesn't even open. And I've seen it happen. Mm. I've seen Friday mm. nights go from earning 150 to 200 grand, bottom line, per year. New night opens, cooler one. Week one, the numbers are chopped in half. Week two, the numbers are chopped in half again. Week three, they don't open. And you go, oh God. it's terrifying. Is it when, when like a club night takes that sort of decline in popularity and coolness, is there any way of pulling it back? It's fighting a losing battle, I'm afraid. And this is one of the key things to do with branding is, for me, it's always play it safer mm. rather than try and be too clever with things. Mm. So stick to good drinks prices. Don't try it. Like, you can't reinvent the wheel. It comes back to what I said at the very beginning. Like, it's people getting drunk in a room mm. with music. Mm. Like, there's only so many ways that you can cut that. And when you try and, um, when you try and overcomplicate it, that's when people just don't get it. Yeah. And it, it, it ends up with you being on the receiving end. And yeah, once, once the balls started to roll downhill, 
so to speak. Like it's it's super, super difficult to do that. You can relaunch it and rebrand it and you see this happen. A lot of the time, a venue that's had a consistent night for a very long time will rebrand, change the name. Mm. Sometimes mm. it gives it a new lease of life, but a lot of the time it might not. Once that no. reputational damage is done, it can... And and where does social fit into all of this? Because we, you, you can control to an extent, like you said, what's going on on the ground and who's getting in and who's not getting in and all the rest of it and image while you're there. But there's a whole another world that people listening to this won't be aware of that lives on social media. And I think the analogy used, used that was that back in the day on Facebook, um, promotions and clubs on Facebook, it was almost like uh, the wild, wild west of it. It is. And, now it, and it still is now. So much more sophisticated now. Yeah. So everyone, every event, every nightclub, even the most backwater of ones, the, they're all going to have a Facebook page. They're all going to understand how to press boost on a post. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're all going to understand that if I get a meme that relates to drinking, it might actually do well. Yeah. Do you know? So the low-hanging fruit that used to exist for us as online marketers no longer exists mm. because everyone's capable of doing that. Mm. So it is about doing the basics really, really well now. So how can you, how can you through as many different mediums as possible access the right market and make them have an affinity with your brand? Mm. Because a lot of the time, like I say, you can't compete on the core values of the product. You can to a degree. If you have a really terrible DJ, your night will do badly. And if you have a really good DJ, your night will do well. But that's kind of like the foundation that everything else gets built off. You have to have that to get through the door. Yeah. yeah. And once you've got that, it's like, okay, now we're going to compete on brand values because it says a lot more about a customer. The events that a customer goes to says a lot more about them than pretty much anything else. Mm. You've got to think when you're mm. at university, if you don't play for a sports team and you don't have like some other hobby going on, what are you self-branding with apart from club nights? Yeah, especially in freshers. Like I was thinking this the other day, like when... When you go there, it's like the first two weeks is sort of crucial to making friends and making a good impression. Mm -hmm. And say if you've come from a really tiny town, you move into a big city for the first time, um, what are you wanting to do? You're wanting to find yourself, but also explain to others um, the kind of person that you've moved there to become. Yes. And people obviously use club nights to that end. Like, where do you suggest to everyone um, that we go? Even that sentence in itself says yep. so much mm. about you. Well, that's one of the key things. So you'll see any freshers that are moving up to... Uh, university this September, I'm sure, I apologize in advance, um, I'm sure that you will have been messaged by a club promoter that says, hi, I see that you're coming to such and such a university in this time, mm. are you gonna be looking for some work when you're up here? And it's because they are gonna try and find the cool kids, they're gonna pick out, they take it as a compliment, but they're gonna try and pick out the cool kids and they're gonna say, well, come and work for us. Right. We'll get you in free to all yeah. of our events, you can be a guest lister for us, it means you get all of these perks, it means you immediately have a family, you have a support structure, yeah, you have people that yeah. can show you around, you have this, that, and the other. And then we use those people as brand ambassadors to disseminate the brand message down. So the staff are a mediator between us and the customers. The staff are kind of like the, um, the flares that you fire in the air above particular little subsections mm. of the, so, so we've got the rugby captain. Oh, so we've got the, like the, the girl that once was in the background of Geordie Shaw. We've got, the, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like you've got all these incredible. different, yeah. all these bits and pieces, but it's, it's a lot to do with kind of, picking the right social actors but because it's so nebulous it's like who knows what makes something cool mm. yeah mm. no one knows what makes something cool what's we don't. cool to like one generation is going to be like it completely changes. uncool yeah. to the next yeah. round of students so a perfect example of this going back to social is that um i always so i looked after all of our um social media accounts for as long as i could because uh, i understood the platform to a degree and i relinquished control of one of them 
to a, a fresher this year who's from Canada. And I was like, oh God, I'm feeling really nervous. He might not, might not understand like the posting schedule or mm. what if he doesn't understand mm. that. And sure enough, in terms of his consistency of posting and all the rest of the stuff and fitting the model that I'd made, that I'd written for him, he was miles away. But the activity has gone through the roof because he's 19 and mm. he understands exactly what everyone's thinking that is of that age bracket. And the affinity from, as a representative of the brand, the mm. Ify, uh, the guy I'm on about, that he is, the affinity between the brand account and the customers is so much more valuable than an effective use of the media. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I was yeah. using the cookie cutter Twitter strategy to the, like absolutely to the T. Yeah. But the message that I was putting across wasn't having a, a striking a chord mm. with our target audience. Mm. And now you look at some of the stuff that he does and I'm like, why has he put that? And I'll look at the bottom and it'll be like 99 retweets, like mm. 20 yeah. favorites, 10 mm. replies. I'm like, I just, you know, like you just need to hold your hands up at, yeah. at some points and kind of let the guys go. So yeah, in terms of, in terms of manipulating social and stuff like that, there's the messages, the messages that you put across, you still need to hard sell a lot of the time. Yeah. So I had a call, perfect example. I had a call with a Facebook marketing expert that gets assigned to your account. Mm. We spend mm. an awful lot of time on spending money on Facebook mm. to get a little bit of content out there, so on and so forth. And I had a discussion with him and he said, so what are your, what are your goals with your advertising campaign? Is it click-throughs? Is it video views? Is it this, that, and the other? And I was like, I don't really know. It's like, just make us cool. Like, and what really cool equates to in terms of social is broadly exposure mm. with the right message. Mm. So the message needs to be correct at the start. And after that, it's just reach as many people that are right as possible and then stand back because it's you can't do fancy stuff like, a CPM like average cart value and then we're going to retarget them with this pixel and then yeah. we're going to yeah. you know there's a three second video view and they'll get dropped into this section of the funnel and then that'll go down <laughs> and you're like we don't have that we don't we we just need people to think when they're in a pre-bar I'm going to go to skint on a Thursday illegitimate mm. I'm going to go to candy pants on a Friday at Lavello I'm going to go to birdcage on a Saturday do you know what I mean like that's what we need people to think yeah and Aside from that, you're like, well, how sophisticated is it? Very unsophisticated to a degree. And I think that it presents a challenge. And I think that a lot of the time I, I'd hold my hands up and say that we are of the six-ish big companies in Newcastle, mm. there's only two of us that really do social. Like the remainder of them just rely on below the line networking. Really? And the, and the benefit of that, are you miles apart from, from the others no, in that respect? No, or? because... Because there's different routes to achieve the same objective. Sure, sure. And to a degree, if you rely too much on social, and I, this was definitely something that we came up against maybe about three or four years ago, I kind of found the magic that is pressing the boost button on Facebook and thought that this was going to be a godsend and that mm. we weren't going to have to do anything anymore. Mm. And what actually ends up happening if you push too hard is it looks too beggy. Yeah. There needs to be a marriage of above the line, mm. which for us above the line is actually like social mm. and the below the line, which is the delivery from our brand ambassadors or what they're more commonly known as the guest list is the staff. So it's between, it's like setting up the brand values comes top down and then delivering them and making sure that they're issued correctly goes bottom up from the, from the staff. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around the, the science that goes into all of this because for somebody like me, I've always sort of seen it as, oh, it's just a uh, perfect storm. I've had X amount of drinks. I'm in X area. Mm. This is right. I'm with yeah. these people. 
so I'm just going to go to this place. <laughs> but you, but hearing you say it, you were so right. There, there would have been all these decisions in the back of my mind. Same reason I went to X nightclub in the hope of bumping into this person who knows these people, who yeah. knows that people. Yeah. You've seen behind the curtain, right? I've revealed, so, I've revealed the magic. There's and method to the madness. There is. But I mean, we you don't know, to a degree as well, like there's some, certainly some promoters, broadly there's two kinds of promoters. Mm -hmm. One of them are party boys mm -hmm. that realize I like to get wrecked and wow, I can make some money off this. Yeah. Second type are people that treat it like a business. Yeah. And both are effective at their job. And for different reasons as well. I can't do what the party boys do. I could for a long time, but yeah. I've run out of gas. Yeah. Like, so we slot in the guys that can be party boys below us as our managers. But still, we treat it as a more typical business. It's mm. where can we optimize? What's the most effective use of marketing strategy, et cetera, mm. et cetera. For me, because manipulating social networks individually uh, if you read a book called Tribe, it talks a lot about this or the tipping point, mm. very similar kind of effects. It's it's just really hard. Uh, and for me, I'd much prefer to be able to, you know, plant a flag in the ground that I know I have done this. This many people have seen it and it's had X kind of an effect in terms mm. of reactions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's more sophisticated than it looks, I guess, from the outside looking in. Definitely. And, and yeah. the, th Definitely. the thing is that for all that people can everyone will know a promoter from back home. Yeah. Everybody will know, will know that guy. And you know, there's some businesses out there that they rival anything that you would consider to be a proper business. Mm. You know, like mm. if you're just talking about in terms of, especially if you're talking about in terms of turnover, like there's an awful lot of money floating around in nightlife. And it means that people are going to try every little trick in the book that they can to get ahead. And it means that they should treat it like a proper business. And increasingly that's what I'm seeing. That it's not just this kind of turn up and hope for the best and, you know, like after a bottle of vodka, I can't remember what the numbers were and I'll let someone else cash the till and <laughs> things like that. Right, it, needs to be more, it needs to be more operational. It needs to be more procedural. Mm. We had a question for you around uh, subcultures and sort of because I think you can um, very much align nightlife with various subcultures. And it seems to us that we're seeing a decline in these subcultures now. I suppose, uh, Chris, for the clubs that you run, you're very much you know, within that student space, but all things to all people. Where And where does that sort of come into that optimization process? Like you said, you're not looking for this specific person. Yeah. But it still matters I, I think who comes in. Especially at uni, what it comes back to, to a degree, is that these kids have moved away from home. Mm -hmm. Their sense of identity that they used to have broadly has gone away. Mm. And the same way as when you were in school, after every six weeks holiday, you came back and you wanted to reinvent yourself yeah. as the cool guy of that year. <laughs> you get the opportunity now to start with about as fresh of a slate as you're going to get. But what that can lead to is an awful lot of kind of disconnect from anything. Mm. And I think what young guys and especially girls as well, um, there's a it's a quantifiable metric of how successful you're being socially when you have a lot of followers or a lot of people like your photos or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Mm -hmm. When it comes to social. Mm. And then if that is a, a goal that you have to achieve because there's kind of nothing else going on, what you do is you take the cookie cutter design of who you see that's being effective at it. So you go like, who are the guys that have come off Love Island this year? What are they posting about? Mm, do you understand what mm, I mean? Yeah, like, sure, So you sure. take the route. And I think that when you're talking about this kind of dissolving of subcultures down, it's that there is this ubiquitous social currency now, which is your social media accounts. Mm, yeah. And mm. when you can see a single direct path, like a single route to that or one route, the most obvious one, you go, well, 
okay, I need to get to X because I don't have anything else. Subcultures have yeah. gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the way that I do that is because this guy is super, super good at it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of try and get as close to that as possible. Yeah. And what that leads to is just this homogenous kind of um, very repet uh, repeated exposure of people online. You yeah. know, you could see, it's weird. Like you see people that, these guys from Scotland who've never tweeted anything before in their lives will get like 250,000 retweets on a tweet that they've said. And then you'll see for the next couple of months afterwards, you'll see a whole load of other people that will say something similar. Mm. Yeah. Because it tri it's got this trickle down effect of effectiveness. Mm. So everyone wants to be that guy that went viral online. Yeah. So you're saying there's almost 100 people going after what that, <laughs> that guy's done or that girl's done. And yeah. it's, it's, it's people an interesting at, people at, it, the, at the top um, of social media, like the people who are all like Instagram mm. famous, if they're pretty much all the same, then yeah. everyone else and their dog aspiring to be like them is going to end up roughly the same. It's only ever going to trickle down. Yeah, I agree. I agree so much. I think that's really that's it's correct. It's um, and that's one of the things you know with my podcast channel. I, certainly, the guys that I get to spend a lot of time with are for twelve years. I've got a year older, hmm. but the people who've worked for me have stayed the same age. Hmm. What that means is that I get to see people go through the throes of freshers, second year, and third year, and sometimes fourth year over and over and over and over again. Mm. And I get to see the same issues come up, the same problems and the same successes. And it's like, yeah, it changes with the times to a degree, but I'll always see the person who goes, goes on a night out, gets drunk and cheats on his girlfriend. Mm. I'll always see the, the girl who misses home by mid-November, misses her boyfriend, goes back and then regrets it or doesn't regret it. Or do you know what I mean? Like mm. there's, yeah. there's these archetypal roles that emerge and they continue to emerge. And one of the things that I've been trying to do with the podcast is to um, present myself as a a person who, from the outside looking in, you know, doing the Instagram thing and been on the reality TV and kind of done those sort of things, but also doesn't necessarily conform to that cookie cutter design. Mm. And that's mm. massively been to my benefit. Mm. You know, I've got to sit down over the last, since I started Modern Wisdom, I've got to sit down with some of the most interesting people in the world. Mm -hmm. I've got to sit down mm -hmm. with the man that programs half a million people's workouts for the CrossFit Games and the CrossFit Open, Dave Castro. And that was three weeks after I started. And I got to sit down with him and have this conversation. And I got to ask him like a load of questions that I never thought that I'd be able to. Mm. But had I followed the cookie cutter design, mm. I wouldn't have got anywhere near it. No. You know, I had no, to really embrace. So there's a, there's a video that I absolutely love and it's called Why We're Fated to Be Lonely. It's by Alain de Botton on the School of Life podcast. Mm. Uh, sorry, School of Life YouTube channel. And it's basically a, a championing of your weirdness to mm. a degree that um, he says that loneliness is a kind of tax that we have to pay to atone for a certain complexity of mind. Mm. And the ability that you have as someone who's unique. Everyone, everyone has something about them that's unique. And to one degree or another, people may be more or less similar to their friends. Mm. But mm. if you do allow yourself to kind of become this homogenous kind of gray, vanilla, beige mm. blob in the mm. middle, you lose everything about you that's going to make you stand out from the crowd. Mm. And whether your desire is to, you know, go down a, a more typical, like hierarchical uh, business structure on the grad scheme, or whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you're going to travel the world, mm. you never want to lose that individuality. Mm. No. And I think that, like I say, one of the things I've been trying to champion with the podcast is, you know, embrace that as much as possible. Do you try and have the same attitude with your club nights? Because we we were talking about this the other day, this idea of subcultures sort of dissolving out. And um, music seems to be one of the only 
places where that's less dramatic. People still have, you know, their favorite genres and their favorite nights. And that's still a way of identifying yourself in that old fashioned sense. I agree. I think music's kind of like one of those, it's a bastion, one of the remaining bastions that can separate people. And it's because we could argue based on today's conversation, music, the music that you listen to says the least about you than anything else. Mm. Mm. So I've got bunches of mates that listen to country music, but none of them are hicks from America. None of them, <laughs> sh none of them shoot guns. No. I've got loads of girls that go and listen to garage music that dress just as nice as the girls that go and listen to house music. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, for one night of the week or one night every fortnight, however often it is that you go out, yeah, you might dress like the guy that goes to the R&B night or you might, you know, put on the three-piece suit and go to the swanky event or mm. do whatever it is. Mm. But broadly, music actually doesn't, it doesn't percolate through into your character as much as, and certainly not as much as it used to. And this may be, going back to what we mentioned earlier, this may be a, more of a dumbing down of those subcultures again. Like, where did emos go? Do you remember emos? Right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Where did yeah. emos go? No, yeah. I don't. I haven't yeah, seen one in years. On, on, on that note as well, Chris, because this is getting to a question I've been I'm sort of burning to ask you now as well. <laughs> you see these different types of characters and you saw, and you said yourself, you see a lot of the same people that crop up on a personal level. There's, is, is that if affecting in any way that sort of watering down of culture, that sort of rinse repeat, you know, especially being somewhere like in a university environment where you see, like you said, young people every year, but many of the same characters, mm. you find that affecting. I, I only ask cause I feel like I've been doing a lot of people watching lately mm -hmm. and a lot of turning the camera back on myself and thinking, am I really as different as I think I am? Or am I playing this cookie um, cutter? Yeah, that's interesting. I think one of, the, one of the virtues of getting older is that it gives you more perspective in things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it allows you to see the wood a little bit more rather than being buried by the trees. Mm. And I'm able to look back at the role that I played for quite a long time. So I'm an only child, mm -hmm. which meant that in terms of a, a family-based uh, older figurehead, like someone that I could look up to and kind of follow. I didn't have that. And I think for a long time, the same as a lot of people that go to university, I became the promoter, mm. right? That was mm. it. I had a massive Afro. Anyone who's been to Newcastle or went, <laughs> went to Carnage, did you ever go to Carnage, the bar yeah. crawl? So I we always did, wanted to go to Carnage. Well, I've been like more, times, more times than I care to admit. Exactly. So, um, you know, that was, that was us. And me and my business partner made our names. You know, the, when I see the guys from Geordie Shore, they'll still refer to me as Chris Carnage, which right. makes my toes curl to a degree, but it's nice. It's a nice bit of nostalgia in a way. Yeah. And with that, I'm able to look back and I'm able to see things with perspective. And it means that I can see that I definitely dumbed down a lot of the things that made me unique. Coming back to the uniqueness mm -hmm, argument that, mm -hmm. I, that I mentioned earlier on. And I think it's when we're presented with the choice of acceptability and honesty, a lot of the time, people are going to choose the former because mm. they're worried. What if, what if my views are too alarming or too contrary or mm. too subtle? Mm. They don't want to do that. They want to, be, they want to play it safe. And, you know, arguably to a degree, we're doing that with the club nights. I've said, play mm. it safe. Social mm. proofing, isn't it? We use that in marketing here. Um, so it's just this idea that psychologically we have a need to belong and follow the crowd for yeah. fear of rejection and desire for acceptance. It's the same logic, I guess, across sectors. Exactly. Do you know, so do you understand how um, zebras uh, camouflage works? So they, ah. don't actually, they don't actually camouflage themselves against their environment. They camouflage themselves against the herd. Ah, uh, this is... 
Carry you weren't thinking. You weren't, no, you, weren't, no, you weren't thinking I was going to pull that out, were you? <laughs> and we've got a zebra. I was just thinking that just that makes zebra, sense zebra because what else would they yeah. camouflage yeah. themselves against? Like nothing else looks like Apparently a zebra. Recently, there was a, a zoo in Egypt that got done for painting a donkey. Like, like to look like a zebra <laughs> and then just like wheeling it out and going it's a zebra and yeah, it wasn't it um, so yeah spots, like but. that's the reason that a, a zebra's camouflage works right it, it, it hides itself against the herd it doesn't hide itself against the landscape yeah and I think a lot of the time people can do that like you can move through life being that vanilla mm, like and there's, mm. don't get me wrong like on the bell curve distribution that you've got like the middle bit is the fattest for a reason that's mm. where most people fall mm, but mm. by the same token if that's you, then you're still, you've still got virtue and integrity and that's what you're being, right? Yeah. You're being true to yourself. But yeah, if you fall out on the sides and then you drag yourself back in, that's when you're starting to compromise. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect me an awful lot because I think from my side, the guys that I'm invested in, there may be 250 to 300 guys and girls that I'll be looking after to one degree or another as a older brother or a parent, mm -hmm. whatever you want to mm -hmm. call my role now that I have within the uh Voodoo, the events company, with all of them, you know, when I meet them, I'll try as much as I can to champion this way of being, mm. you know, mm. like even if all that you want to get out of university is three years of studying a couple of all right nights out and then a good job at the end of it, mm -hmm. like, you know, cultivate what it is that you've got about yourself that makes you unique. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. because for a very, very long time, I watered mine down. Mm. And I did it to the point where I actually struggled to have an, a specific opinion on anything because I'd lived... I had to um, I had to work out what the character I was playing would say. Mm. Mm. Like your personality isn't something that you have to consciously think of on a minute by minute basis. It is a byproduct that manifests itself due to you having an ego, right? Mm. Like you just go through the day and the words that come out of your mouth are the words mm. that come out. Yeah. But when you start to play a role, you actually forget that. And if you play a role for long enough, you, you lose who that person was. Mm. Yeah. And it's really, mm. really dangerous, I think to a degree. So. To bring it back around to the club nights thing, like, yeah, the the more that we can make it inclusive, the better. Mm. And I think that um, the self branding and things like that for people, you know, we try and we try and have as much of a laugh and not take ourselves too seriously because I think that can mm. be quite restrictive. Yeah, it yeah. sets the bar of behaviour. Um, both on and offline really really high mm. um, whereas when you don't take yourself that's one of the beauties we have of doing student club nights we can crowd surf a guy on an inflatable unicorn mm. like what is it that you fell asleep in the corner like there was a guy on a unicorn yeah do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. like it kind of brings everyone down to a level we yeah. do a, a club night called candy pants which has footballers and celebrities and people like that going there but at one o'clock every single week, we give out inflatable saxophones and massive pairs of glasses and hats and stuff like that because it just dumbs down that kind of wanky twatty yeah. sort of clubbing culture. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it makes it a lot more, it, it just kind of breaks the barriers a little bit. It evens the playing field. 100%. Who knew uh, events marketers were the silent heroes? I know, yes, yes, I can't believe it. <laughs> Making the world a better place I'm, one Jagerbomb at a time. Trying. <laughs> pads, so I'm going to have to cut us off there. And Although I don't want to because I literally think yeah, we could I go could on talk talking all day. But that was, uh, that was fascinating. Honestly, I'm sat here with my mind blown. It <laughs> doesn't always happen. So fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. Guys, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed this episode? A like, a share or a quick review will enable us to bring you hard-hitting truths and outrageous social secrets every week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.